This is Dave Munn, co-author of A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, Accelerating Growth in Strategic Accounts, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if you're listening to the show right now and you're not driving or operating dangerous machinery, please hop on Twitter and tell us where in the world you're listening from. My Twitter handle is marketingbook. Today, we welcome Dave Mund to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new book he has co-authored with Bev Burgess, A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, Accelerating Growth in Strategic Accounts. Dave Munn is president and CEO of ITSMA, a research-based community for B2B marketing leaders that pioneered the account-based marketing approach in the early 2000s. Prior to joining ITSMA in 1995, Dave held senior-level marketing positions with Oracle and Apple and was a senior analyst at the Ledgeway Group, now a part of Gartner. That was a research firm that laid the foundation for the growth of technology services business research in the 1990s. And interesting fact, Dave is an avid outdoorsman and lover of history. Dave, congratulations on a practitioner's guide to account-based marketing, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Douglas. It's great to be here with you. So I didn't mention this in your bio, but you have an MBA from the Kellogg School at Northwestern University. Was one of your professors ever Philip Kotler? I wish he were. He's, he was one of those professors that was very hard to get, no matter how many points you had or how you reworked your schedule. His books were a big part of some of my study there, but I was never able to have a class with him. Yeah. Well, I know that it's hard to get to him because he was a guest on the 100th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast, where we talked about his latest book, Marketing 4.0. Yeah. And honestly, you know, as a marketing book nerd like I am, and I'm sure you are, and a lot of listeners are, I kind of thought, you know, the hundredth episode, Philip Kotler, maybe I can just stop the podcast. I've, <laughs> I've reached the pinnacle, but so far that is the most downloaded episode, and it was a terrific book and very well received. I had a friend when I worked in New York who I worked at an ad agency, and he left and went to Northwestern, and I was so excited. I said, "Oh, you're going to try and get in Doctor Kotler's class," and he did. And he contacted me and let me know. And so it was sort of an exciting thing. Now, what is ITSMA? Explain for the listener what that organization is and what it does. Yeah, sure. For over 20 years, ITSMA has been a, a leader and pioneer in advancing marketing practices around services and solutions, B2B services and solutions. We provide research, provide professional development and training, and also advice and peer community uh, to marketers in, in a range of business sectors. Great. And we're going to make sure to include a link to your website in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, Dave, I just have to ask one other question. You're an American, and your co-author is British, I believe. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So the book uses British spelling. Is that because the publisher is British, or did you perhaps lose a bet with your co-author? <laughs> 
No, that's a great question, and that's something that easily could have happened between the two of us. No, Bev is, is fantastic. I mean, she's the real pioneer around ABM and the work that we do in that area. It was fun for the two of us to work together. So part of it is the, the lead author and the publisher, Kogan Page. We decided to publish it with the, the King's English, but it's, as we both know, it's very readable for both audiences. <laughs> yes. Only a guy that was the number one speller in his sixth grade class would pick up on some of those differences like the word program or visualization. So anyway, it was it was good. And it's actually not the first Kogan Page book we've had. Uh, we also won by uh, Professor Malcolm McDonald. Mm-hmm. His book on marketing planning, the second edition, terrific, terrific book. So yeah. let me start with an excerpt from Dr. Charles Doyle, who wrote the foreword. And then uh, we'll jump into some, some questions. He said, it's a good time to begin to master this fascinating account-based marketing discipline within professional marketing. It is no longer a discipline that can be left to the tactical salesperson with their short-term targets. Marketing professionals can use the techniques of account-based marketing both to bridge the great divide between marketing and sales and also to maximize their career potential and bring a longer-term strategic approach to client development. So, Dave, marketers and listeners to this show, they hear terms like content marketing, inbound marketing, contact marketing, influencer marketing. What, at its core, is account-based marketing? So from a yeah formal definition standpoint, it's a structured, highly structured approach to developing and implementing customized marketing programs to markets of one, such as individual clients, partners, or even prospects. So it marries many aspects of, of successful marketing. It's something that organizations start infusing into their marketing programs and activities. It's part of their portfolio of types of marketing. All those things that you mentioned, content marketing, sales alignment, lead generation, relationship building are all parts of successful account-based marketing. So is account-based marketing only for selling to big companies? No, it's it's being used for, for small, medium, and large companies. It's typically focused on for companies that are selling higher ticket items for more complex, higher consideration solutions, whether it's product services or a combination of the two. And, you know, not for a laptop, not for a book, not for simple products or services. More companies do focus on the larger companies. If you look at where many companies get a majority of their business, They'll say 80% of their business comes from their largest set of accounts. And those are ones that many times could offer more growth or more potential with the right focus, with the right account-based marketing program. So let's step back and explain what some of the trends are that are driving the need to incorporate account-based marketing into an organization's marketing strategy. Let's see. When you talk about the needs, some of them are driven by customers and clients and prospects themselves and how they buy and how they consider providers. Uh, So that's one aspect of the conversation. Another aspect too is differentiation. Many companies in the marketplace sound alike. Ask most marketers and, and many salespeople, you ask what's your biggest challenge? It's differentiating themselves among their top competitors. You know, a third aspect too, there's a a number of components that are helping facilitate successful account-based marketing. New tools and technologies from marketing automation, CRM systems, and other tools that are adding to the mix that are helping companies both grow and build ABM programs. 
Okay, so let's say you're a listener to this show, maybe a marketing or a salesperson or a manager, and you've got a boss who has a real hard case of shiny object syndrome. And each Monday they come in and say, hey, what's this Snapchat thing? What should we, what should we be doing there? <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. They're, they're always looking at something else. So they come in on Monday and they say, hey, have you ever heard of account-based marketing? Should we be doing that? What else can a, a company know or should they be thinking about to know if it really makes sense for them? And what are some of the other things they should be even be considering before they w- would start to undertake something like this? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question too. And we get that question all the time from different companies is what is it and how do we do it? And it's important to take this step or two or three back to to explore it. Account-based marketing isn't right for everyone. There's a number of keys to success in, in launching successful account-based marketing programs. And, and typically for companies, it, it'll start out with that conversation of you know, what is it how do we apply it? How do we build a program? How do we get started and, and what people should be involved? So for a senior executive, one of the things they should know, they hadn't heard it, it's one of the fastest growing areas of marketing. Uh, companies that are investing in account-based marketing, 84% will say they, they're they seeing a higher return on investment from account-based marketing. We see benefits to the sales organizations, to clients, and to mar- marketers in doing account-based marketing, but it takes a thoughtful approach in prioritizing the accounts, making sure there's a right alignment with sales, that there's right funding, the right people are involved. And there are realistic goals for account-based marketing. You pointed something out before. It's not meant to be something that is just a a quick hit, a one-time, hey, let's let's throw some money at account-based marketing and see if we can get some leads tomorrow, (laughs) next week, and then the next month and move on to the next shiny object. Yeah, so just see if the spaghetti sticks against the wall this time. <laughs> right? yeah. Well, yeah, no, exactly. My sense from reading the book is that you've seen it uh, with many organizations over the years of how it goes wrong. Can you say more about the things that almost guarantee that that's not going to work? Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it because we, we want people to have that conversation and be aware of the, the pitfalls of investing in, in anything, whether it's you know, CRM system or marketing automation and ABM has its has its hurdles and its pitfalls as well. And and so some of the things I mentioned before are really, really important that there's a, a senior executive that understands why account-based marketing, what it is and what it entails. I mean, first and foremost, it is a growth strategy for companies. Companies that are interested in growing their business with their largest accounts or potentially largest accounts are investing in account-based marketing. And because of that, there's, you know, there are issues and risks that come with investing in account-based marketing if it's not done right. So some of the things that we'll, we'll walk people through, it's very important to prioritize accounts that you're going to put into your account-based marketing programs. We recommend companies start with a pilot program and do go through a careful process of planning and going through step-by-step process that we recommend to make sure the account is understood and their issues, their key players, based on their issues and needs, what offerings do we have, what plays should we target to the account, and what the ABM campaign process will look like and how we're going to grade it and rate it on its success and know that ABM is a journey that companies 
change, tweak their programs, that it's not one size fits all. They need to, to take a long-term view to, to commit to account-based marketing. doesn't necessarily mean it takes a, a lot of money, but when you're dealing with, your, with very important accounts or accounts that you want to grow, you don't want to risk going overboard or doing some things shotgun style that may upset the, the client and where the co- client is saying, why all of a sudden all this attention? Why are we getting bombarded with all sorts of requests, invitations, uh, marketing materials and content? And, you know, to us, it doesn't map with our interests and our needs and in, in where we view you as a provider to us. So, you know, there's there's numerous things that, again, you know, all roll up to you know, ways that companies are going to be more successful in the long term. Well, you talk about the surprise that a, an account, a customer might have. You also mentioned in the book that you should let your customers know you're doing this. Let them know what you're up to. Yeah, and that's a, it's, it's really interesting. There's huge debates over that topic where should we tell our account <laughs> that they're, they've they're going to be part of our our account-based marketing program. Some companies are very formal about inviting companies to participate because what they say is we're going to put extra energy into communicating to you, inviting you to special programs, to providing tailored content and activities for you and your people to help you with new ideas and new thinking, ways to to meet and get to know our subject matter experts and our uh, senior management team, as well as to increase your interaction with other customers and clients that we work with. Yeah. And I, I just thought that if I were with a you know company and uh, one of my suppliers was saying, you know, we're really going to start to focus in on how we can grow our relationship with you. I thought I would like that. I would think I'd appreciate the attention and, and I'd probably better understand why I'm getting more attention and why you all are asking questions as long as I sensed that it was going to help me and that it wasn't going to generate additional, you know, unwanted sales calls. But I think this is fairly a you know, sophisticated practice. Also, and I mentioned this when I interviewed Tim Sanders about his book, Deal Storming. I know this may sound completely crazy, but as I read through and understood more about account-based marketing, it reminded me of the Ocean's Eleven movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where the whole, you know, this wonderfully done movie about these guys that are going to rob a casino. And it was very complicated and it was it all came together in the end and maybe you didn't quite understand why they were doing the different types of things they were doing but I, I sort of got that vibe I don't know if you've ever heard that before about account-based marketing it's you know it's really interesting and, and that's you know part of this in the success with ABM there's lots of creativity there are multiple people that are involved or can be involved if, if you look at any company's major accounts, you know, there are numerous sales resources, uh, technical resources, subject matter experts in various marketing programs, activities, and skills that are brought to bear to, again, tailor highly customized marketing programs and communication programs to an individual account. And all the people in that account that participate with a company that interact with a provider or a vendor. So, you know, those specialists are needed, whether it's a a web designer that helps create a microsite for, as part of an ABM program, uh, an event specialist that specializes in creating very successful one-on-one briefing programs and, and campaigns, 
you know, content experts that can help direct and influence different types of, of content that will be successful within an account. And you start going through the list. There's insight experts, social media experts that get involved with, with account-based marketing programs. So that's why you know, most account-based marketers, those individuals who are assigned to a group of account, a cluster of accounts, or uh, a higher number of accounts, behind them sits, whether it's a account-based marketing center of excellence or a shared service within the marketing organization or other resources that are helping contribute to provide materials, programs, and content for each campaign. And this, to me, also points to another issue. I noticed at the very end of the book, account-based marketers actually make more, but as I understood it, part of it may be because they have to be more senior. And when you talk about all those different departments, it starts to become very clear that you have to have a more seasoned or senior type of leader doing this, which also was related to why you can't throw account-based marketing at the marketing coordinator that you hired last year from college. I don't know if that happens very often, but it was very clear that this is much more of a strategic thing, that if it's not a strategic issue, it really is going to die on the vine. Yeah, and that's a great point, too. There, and as I mentioned, there is a, a broad range of skills that are involved with the whole account-based marketing supply chain, all the different marketers that are involved. But typically in an organization, there is a point person, an account-based marketer, who is more seasoned and senior, is comfortable working with, with sales teams and, and salespeople, has a good cross-knowledge of uh, strategy, market, and competitive insight writing and value proposition development, campaign coordination, as well as knowledge of marketing execution. Some marketers are the orchid, you know, they're the conductor, if you will, of a team of people. So some companies do have more junior people that are part of the team, but rarely, rarely are they the, the point person that's working with the account team or that's working with the vertical market leaders or so on. It was also this idea of customer experience, which is fortunately becoming much more important and focused on by companies. A lot of them are still wrestling with that, but it's like, okay, taking a junior marketing person and saying, okay, you're now responsible for customer experience. <laughs> that doesn't work. You got to have more of a leader that starts to interface with all these other departments that are customer facing, but don't necessarily work for, for marketing. Now, you mentioned sales and you say that the foundation of any account-based marketing initiative is the collaboration between marketing and sales. Why is that so? It's critical when it comes to, to marketing to your most important accounts, your top accounts, your strategic accounts. Those accounts typically have the very successful account managers and who have lots of experience, you know, who, you know, want to control many activities within the account. So for an account-based marketer to have a close working relationship with sales, the process that we recommend going through, companies will have their own account planning process for what's going on in the account in in essence, what they want to do with the account and what they want to sell the account. Account-based marketing has to be integrated with and aligned with the account planning process, infused into the account planning process, a close working collaboration with sales. And, you know, there's, again, 
changes that happen and occur during the course of a a campaign year or an account year or a longer term horizon or even as as you mentioned the topic of deal pursuit companies apply account based marketing concepts to pursuing individual opportunities and deals you know when we go through helping companies prioritize which accounts to focus on first for account-based marketing. There's a number of criteria that we'll look at, but one of the criteria and aspects is, you know, how willing is the strategic account manager? We're talking on the sales side, right? Oh, yeah, on the sales side. You know, a person that is marketing savvy, that will embrace marketing programs and activities with their account and someone that that marketing can work with because there are some that say no i don't believe in marketing it's all about sales we don't need marketing in the account what ends up happening some of those sales leaders or or sales account leaders see what's happening in other accounts where account-based marketing is being added to and helping advance opportunities advance relationships and and close business, they say, how can I get in on account-based marketing? <laughs> I want some of I that. Think, yeah, I want some of that. And it's, you know, and that's a whole nother challenge for marketers of, of controlling demand. Well, we I was start, interested to yeah. see that in the, in the book about how, you know, you gotta, you've got to get sales on board, help them understand why this benefits them. They may not understand, but it sounded almost like, you know, the, the expression growth will kill you. It almost yeah. sounded like there's a, a reverse problem of too many people wanting this too quickly. Yeah, no, it's exactly true. And there's, you know, one of the, the concepts that we, we explore in the book is there are three different levels of account-based marketing, strategic one-to-one marketing, where a marketer is working with one sales team or a couple of sales teams on tailoring marketing programs to one account or a couple of accounts. Then there's ABM Lite or you know, one to few account-based marketing. And that's where a marketer is working with a set of accounts, typically in a vertical market or a cluster of, of accounts. And then programmatic is you know, a marketer working with a much broader set of account, you know, dozens or even a hundred or two accounts where they're highly leveraging marketing automation on different activities. So, you know, those different levels, the closest relationship is clearly the one-to-one, the strategic account-based marketing and the one-to-few, the ABM light or, or clustered marketing where marketers are working closer with people. But there there are limits to how far you can stretch account-based marketing and how far you should because it can be both people-intensive as well as, as uh, investment-intensive. Yeah. Let's let's move on. I want to ask you, talk a little about how today's buyers buy. And there was something in the book that seemed to differ from this overwhelming consensus in so many other books that, you know, this notion that buyers don't want to engage with a seller until they're much further along. And you're saying that that's not always true for some of these high ticket items. It sounds like your research has shown that people are engaging sooner and that also sounded like a lot of marketers are really forgetting about offline activities. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And that's a, a conversation that, that's been raging the last couple of years. And One it'll never go that, away, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. It always depends on your perspective. We do an annual study uh, with global business and technology buyers of high consideration services and solutions. 
and we ask a range of questions at every stage of the buying process of, of how they do their research, what, what channels, what types of content they prefer, and then moving through the, the different stages. And, and we've asked those questions about, you know, when do you engage with sales? When would you be interested in engaging with sales during the process? If, you know, you're contacted by sales with relevant information, with something that is a need or of interest to a company and personalize to them, they are interested in a conversation, hearing more about it, and not just going online to do all their research. You know, when you look at the the complexity of, of some of the, the products and solutions that companies deal with that we work with, they have to and want to interact with not just salespeople, but provider representatives. And when I use that term, it could be executives, could be technical experts and, and subject matter experts, as well as the salespeople. So, you know, we have found that very consistent over the last four or five years that there are offline interactions, in-person interactions, event interactions, peer interactions, consultant and advisory interactions that, that buyers of, of complex solutions are still interested in. It's not just online. They're not just doing online research or online interaction with resources and and not just waiting to say, okay, here's what I want. Give me the best deal you have, Mr. Salesperson. (laughs) Yeah. Also, it reminds me of an article from Gallup, and they talked about something I don't hear as much about, but they were saying that, you know, if you make a business to consumer decision when you buy something, like you get a bad roofing job or you buy a bad set of tires or something like that. That's not actually the end of the world. You know, it's that's on you, the homeowner or the car owner or, or whatever, and that's not a good thing. But business to business is actually much more of an emotional purchase than a business to consumer. And I believe that firmly that in other words, if you make the wrong decision about some of the things you're talking about, let's say a half a million dollar software implementation, you know, it affects the uh, profitability of the company. It affects whether the company might stay in business. And it definitely affects your career and your future earnings potential. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I mean, some of the, you know, anyone in sales and, and in marketing in, in today's marketplace knows that, you know, it's a, the sales cycles can be long. There's lots of people involved and companies want to make sure, you know, does this company know us? Do they understand our industry and our specific issues? Have they done this before? Do they have the people uh, that can do the work and, and support us in our efforts? And and do we trust them? Do we know we're going to learn from them? And if it is a long-term process, is this a kind of organization that's going to continue to bring me new thinking and new ideas to advance my business and not just be in it for their, their own sake? <laughs> Can, can Do we feel like we can communicate with them? Do we like them? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in the book, you talk about value propositions and that they are very important for account-based marketing. In fact, there's an entire chapter devoted to value propositions. So what is a value proposition and what's wrong with most value propositions? So, yeah, great comment. And, and uh, I definitely wish we had more time to discuss it, but, you know, Value propositions are, you know, much like account-based marketing, highly tailored, customized messaging or propositions that are targeted to a specific issue or problem 
that a company has, how it can or will be solved, and including some you know, financial benefits or business benefits to the buyer. So there's lots of very vague and brief value propositions that exist, buy our product and you'll improve your business. But in an account-based marketing context, in an overall marketing context, you know, customers want to know that you understand them, you know them, you know their issues and needs, and the more tailored and customized your statements, your value propositions are to them, the more interested they, they are going to be in exploring a conversation with you. So there's a, a, a process that, that we go through and a process companies go through to, you know, to identify who is being targeted. You know, what's the audience, their role, their issues and needs, the, the type of company that they're with, and how we can help solve a problem or issues that they have with something that we're offering. So that's a, a key part of, of account-based marketing because it's typically focused around the key business issues, initiatives, and imperatives a specific company has, whether it's ExxonMobil or J.P. Morgan Bank or or Walmart focusing on on the specific issues, needs, and initiatives they have, and tailoring those value propositions include how you, as a provider, can help them using, in many cases, using their words. Yes, their using- language, not yours. There's uh, one part that I I really like where you, related to this. You said value propositions start with your buyer, <laughs> not <laughs> the <laughs> offer, <laughs> and provide a solution to a problem with identified results. They are not inside-out statements about what the company can do. And it just seems yeah. so pervasive in not just account-based marketing, but all marketing. Yeah, and we all get bombarded with these random statements, random emails, or even calls. Dear sir or madam is one of my favorite introductions. You know, well, those you know, I like to have yeah. the flexibility there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so it's just true and it's very sloppy and just drives us nuts. And, you know, I guess maybe it's easier for someone outside the company to identify these are the problems. But let's talk about the ROI thing. We can't, you know, by marketing podcast law, we have to talk about ROI, Dave. I don't know <laughs> if you if I told you that beforehand. But in the book, you maintain that account-based marketing generates the highest return on investment of any B2B marketing approach. But if account-based marketing really does deliver such consistently high returns, Dave, why isn't everyone doing it? So, yeah, both are great questions. The uh, the topic of ROI, you know, people can make lots of promises about the ROI of their solution, their product, or type of marketing. We do annual surveys and we do benchmarking research around account-based marketing with account-based marketers. So that statement we made, it's, it's you know, we're citing a statistic from one of our recent benchmarking study among account-based marketers, when we ask them, when you compare account-based marketing to other forms of marketing, you know, how does it compare with the return on investment from it? And that's where the, the 84% saying ABM delivers higher ROI than other forms of marketing comes from. And, you know, one of the aspects is that when you're marketing to an individual account or groups of accounts, being able to track the impact and the influence of marketing activities with that specific account uh, can be much more specific to identify than a new advertising campaign, a new website, a you know a mass thought leadership campaign, a, a one-time event. So 
you know, that's one of the aspects of account-based marketing. You know, the other aspect too is, you know, why more people don't do it. It's interesting. Lots of people are doing it. You know, when we we survey account-based marketing, you know, lots are planning to do it. Many have just started doing it and don't quite have the ROI numbers. Some others have, have put their toe in the water to start doing it. You know, I think it's something that is in the process of exploding. There's more technology and tools. There's more people asking questions, more people attending ABM-related events that we put on and others are putting on. So it's, I think we're still early in the growth phase for account-based marketing. There was one other part about ROI in the book that I found, I don't know, interesting and kind of refreshing. <laughs> and you talked about some of the challenges inherent in discussing ROI in the context of marketing. I was wondering if you could say a little bit more about the idea that ROI really is a finance term largely derived from capital investment. And it's also usually considered for a very specific period of time. Yes. Yeah, so there's a couple different aspects of, of discussing ROI from every marketing leader that we work with will, you know, will ask, how are others measuring marketing success? You know, how are they tracking it? How are they communicating it? You know, are they making progress and showing marketing's value to senior management? And, you know, I'm a huge believer in the, the fact that companies that in, intend to grow should invest in marketing. Those that invest in marketing will grow f- faster and be more successful in growing their company than those that don't. When it comes to ROI, even in an ABM context, we tell people you need to look at reputation, relationships, and revenue. And typically, ROI is focused on just the revenue category. And again, as you said, there could be a defined period of time when when ROI is looked at within three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, you know, what new revenue has been produced as, as a result of ABM or fill-in-the-blank marketing concept or technique. And so, revenue-related metrics are really important to look at. And it's, you know, what new opportunities are now in the pipeline, what opportunities have accelerated, what opportunities have closed as a result of good selling and marketing or ABM activities. And those are important to look at, but also their revenue and relationship metrics that are really, really important. You know, most companies will say, if an ABM program helps improve our position, our reputation, in an account where people see us as a more strategic provider or somebody that can provide newer and different solutions than just the same core basic stuff, that's a good thing. Or if a company says, well, I'm very impressed with so-and-so now that I've gotten to know them more, results from the ABM program, you know, our reputation is improving the conversations we're having, improving consideration for longer-term opportunities. This company is inviting us to collaborate with them when they didn't before. So those are some, you know, some softer metrics that any executive would say, all those things are important to me. And if there's a way to, to measure those, that's helpful. And it's important to add those to the mix when talking about the success of, of marketing, but also account-based marketing. And then the relationship one ties to that too is, are we getting meetings with our senior executives from the account coming to programs that we have? Are they willing to be references for us? Will they take a call? Will they reference us to other parts of the company? Those are those relationship-related metrics or, or aspects are really, really important too. So Dave, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? 
I would focus on the, the concept that account-based marketing is more than just another form of marketing. It's a strategic business growth investment that companies that want to grow their business, want to grow their position with their most important accounts, uh, they are investing in account-based marketing or could benefit from investing in account-based marketing. Mm, well said. And I also wonder if a lot of people are thinking of ABM as more about getting new customers, but it seems like it, it, it works just as well, if not better, to grow your current customers. It works in, in, a, in a number of contexts. I mean, when companies start with account-based marketing, you know, we recommend they start with existing accounts because most people would say, we know we could be, be selling more to our existing accounts, but for relationship, reputation, or the need for marketing air cover, marketing support, you know, they could go deeper, broader, wider into the account. So it's something that, you know, it's because you already have some relationships and doing some business, uh, typically the higher level of success with account-based marketing with existing accounts. But they're also, it's the, te- the concepts and the techniques are being used with new accounts and the, the time scale could take a little bit longer, take a little bit more resources to advance and make progress, but they've also been shown to be highly successful with new accounts as well. So what books have inspired your work and career? You know, it's interesting that you asked that. There, you know, there's some that go back to Kotler, as you mentioned before. Well, as a Northwestern uh, degree holder, uh, you're required to mention him. <laughs> and. And, and rightly so. I mean, for, for marketers who have been at this for a while, people like Jeffrey Moore and Crossing the Chasm, mm-hmm. Harry Beckwith and his book, Selling the Invisible, stands out as a, a great read. The Heath brothers have written a number of books. Their first one, Made to Stick, is, you know, is something that will always stand with me. And, you know, there's a few others there that have come onto my radar screen more recently. Well, are there you know, any recent or, or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to, to reading? Yeah, you know, one or two that I know you've highlighted in the, the Marketing Book podcast series, Impossible to Ignore, Creating Memorable Content to Influence Decisions by Dr. Carmen Simon. You know, that one, um, she's going to be a featured speaker at one of our forums coming up in California oh, in terrific. May. Oh, That's great. Uh, which is outstanding. Adele Ravella, uh, her book on yes. fire personas is another one. You know, you've, you've featured. She's also going to be speaking at our marketing leadership forum in, in May. Oh, that sounds like quite a, an event to attend there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, those are good ones. Oh, yeah, that's terrific. And I have a new content director here at, the, at my agency, and he came on board last year. And of course, when you work here, you you there's at least one guy in the office who's always talking about books. Me, and Adele Ravella's book was the very first book I had him read. It's that important. Yeah. How can uh, listeners best learn more about you and the new book? Yeah, thanks. People can visit our website, itsma.com. Lots of information about account-based marketing, different articles, webcasts, our, our ABM Council, ABM research that we do, and, and even our ABM certification program. For the book itself, there there's information and details about the book, but also people can go visit the Kogan page, K-O-G-A-N, Kogan page website, as well as Amazon, as our book is uh, available shortly in the U.S. as of March 28th and is already available for for folks in the U.K. and in international markets. 
Oh, great. And we'll make sure to include links to that and, and everything we've talked about in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But I also want to mention in the book, you talked about a LinkedIn group. Yeah, there's a ABM and account-based marketing LinkedIn group that we host that that people are active with and exchanging information and and conversations that different people have about account-based marketing. So, you know, that's something that we, you know, if people do a search on that, they'll be able to find it within LinkedIn. That's something I definitely suggest or, you know, again, if people contact me at dmun at itsma.com, happy to to uh, connect them with the right folks. Okay, great. And also, but wait, there's more. You've got a hashtag, ABM Power, for Twitter, mm-hmm. and at ITSMA underscore B2B. So we'll have links to all of that. So there's lots of ways to, to get in touch. Yeah, fantastic. The name of the book is A Practitioner's Guide to Account-Based Marketing, Accelerating Growth in Strategic Accounts. The authors are Dave Munn and Bev Burgess. Dave, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. And that closes the book on episode 117 of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything linkable in the interview you just listened to are at marketingbookpodcast.com. And that's also where you can sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. And if your next event needs some inspiration and entertainment, I'd be happy to present to your group key insights from over 100 marketing and sales books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast. To contact me, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett, or send me a tweet at my Twitter handle, Marketing Book. I look forward to hearing from you. And please join us next time as we welcome Matt Hines to the show to talk about his book, Full Funnel Marketing. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.